Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is Everything is Black and White podcast brought to you by Chronicle Live and sponsored by Hodgson Motor Group, bringing you the latest insight into everything to do with Newcastle United. Find us on iTunes, Spotify or most podcast providers. Hello and welcome to Everything is Black and White podcast. It's time for our weekend review. Newcastle beat Bournemouth 2-1 in quite an entertaining game up at St James's Park. Joined here by Lee Ryder, Kieran Kelly and BBC Newcastle's Matthew Raisbeck is our special guest today. Um, lads, it's been a, a couple of days since the results. Um, what are your thoughts since Saturday? Brilliant, really. The, you know, Back-to-back wins, exactly what you need going into a international break. It just keeps the feel feel good factor, you know, tingling around the place. Um, I think for Steve Bruce and his coaching staff, you've got to give them credit where it's due because that's too two difficult teams they've beaten and things are starting to that they're doing on the training ground are starting to shine through in games as well so overall it's it's good and we've moved a long way from the what, what seemed like a disaster in the summer really when you go back to July um, we seem a long way from there now we have and to get the first back to back win since April first time they've won since coming from behind since March it was a, a great deal around yeah they're two huge psychological stats I know we get bogged down in stats sometimes but it, it shows the spirit that as Lee said you know wasn't there at Leicester when they couldn't really do the basics right and Bruce accused them of surrendering and you know feeling sorry for themselves well they, they've really rallied and fought and you know to have only lost one game since then at Chelsea 1-0 um, it, it's been a great run and they, as I said before they have a real platform now after the international break with so many games between uh, that Villa game and of course New Year's Day and to go 1-0 behind so early on uh, Matthew it was great to see the character and spirit to come back and really uh, can we use the word dominate do you think they dominated after they went behind well Steve Bruce said afterwards that they had a tough first 20 minutes in Bournemouth caused them problems obviously the set piece goal was well worked and and they were a threat with their pace and movement Bournemouth on the counter attack but I think Newcastle's goal came at a good time it came in an unusual way but once they got level I think there was probably a greater level of confidence around the stadium and probably within the team just because of what they did at West Ham last week and generally as, as you've said since Leicester that they could go on and uh, and get the result and it was an enjoyable game and I don't know I think probably if you're looking at it from a Bournemouth perspective you may say Newcastle didn't dominate but from Newcastle's angle well you would say that they were at times in charge of the game they played good attacking football they had the threat with the pace and trickery of Almiron and Sam Maxima in particular so they were always going to cause Bournemouth problems and at the back while there was that late chance for Joshua King that he headed wide. Again, Fernandez was terrific. Clark was excellent. Dummett came in and things could have been quite unsettled with Lascelles going off and he did really well. All around the team, there were some really good individual displays. It added up to a, a strong team performance. And I mean, 15 points from 
12 matches. You would probably have hoped for low 20s around the Christmas mark just to ensure they were on track. I mean, they're almost halfway to safety now. It's been an incredible turnaround and I think they all deserve just great credit. And one thing that probably has gone under the radar, Lee, is the fact that at home, Newcastle are looking quite good. You know, the only side to come to St. James Park and beat them has been Arsenal. You mentioned previously, yes, you'd expect to beat those teams around you, like Watford and Brighton. But, you know, to come into the, this international break in good form at home, um, yeah, it's only a positive, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's got to be. A, I mean, much much was made um, when Steve Bruce got the job and he probably got quite a, a rough ride compared to like, other managers who've, who've come in and the expectation levels were, were very low. It was always going to be hard from coming in after Rafa Benitez, but you've got to give him the, the credit now for, for what he's done, in the, in the, certainly since Leicester. Um, but also... You know, since the summer when you know Rafa going, there was such a question mark over the club. Um, and since then, Steve Bruce has you know not only picked up the pieces, but you know he's got people you know playing really well and understanding you know what's what's needed on the pitch um, for the fans really. So it's it's all it's all positive at the moment, but things can quickly go wrong in Newcastle as we've seen before. So that Aston Villa game uh, coming up soon is, uh, is is going to be a real test. Well, it certainly is. And I think, as I mentioned it there, LaSalle's going off, that could have been a real turning point in the game because to lose your captain, um, who's been really good form, and to bring someone in out of the cold, like Dummett, who knows great attitude, and he, and he has said um, previously when he gets his chance, he'll, he'll make sure he takes it, and he did do. But at that point, when your captain goes off, when you are um, struggling, it, it, it's a big moment in the game. For sure, it's probably the best position for it to happen in. Ironically, though, you know, anywhere else in the pitch, you might think they would have been seriously weakened. But as we've said a million times, that's the one area of the pitch where you can swap any of the three out, as they've done this season. And anyone who comes in has done a really good job. Just look at Clark. It's ridiculous, really. Nine months to wait for a league appearance after playing against Chelsea last season. He comes in from the cold and he's arguably... You know how how do you drop him at the moment? So, yeah, that Dummett came in, um, the advantage obviously being left sided that he could go in there and Clark moves into the heart of defence. And as uh, Razor said, Fernandez another brilliant game. So, Lejeune's coming back after international break in theory. How's he going to get into the team at the moment? Um, you know, if Lascelles is to have um, a layoff, you know they they do have options to come in at least. But yeah, you know we've seen injuries before how they can shake the rhythm of the team there were a lot of stoppages in the first half in particular but, but Newcastle kept going and, and they found their feet and obviously that goal from Yedlin was, was huge and you could the defenders what they've done going forward this season I've, I've never come across it before it's just remarkable that to have that many different scores across the back um, you know I think it's 64% of the league goals this season uh, defenders yeah. and when you think they lost 55% of their league goals last season and Rondon and Perez it's like they've stepped up with the burn so you'd like to think after the break that the forwards will start to get on the goal goal trail even though you can see what they're doing in the team sense and you get the real sense that Steve Bruce is enjoying seeing his centre-backs not only perform well defensively but also um, grab a few goals we know he did so for Manchester United back in the day and he, you, you do get that sense when you speak to him that he's, he's really enjoying the displays he's, he's, he's watching. 
Well, it's a good job they're scoring because I mean, nobody else is, apart from Shelby, who is level with Clark on two as top scorer. But um, I think any other season, any other time, you would say if goals are being shared around the team, that's fantastic, isn't it? Because you want everyone to contribute. You don't want to rely on one man like Newcastle and probably most clubs have done at some point in the recent past. But you've got those players going up for corners, for set pieces. And I think you always feel like they might get on the end of something. Lascelles is, is big and powerful and good in the air. Um, his, his header and the goal actually set up by Fernandez against Wolves was, was terrific. And Kieran Clark, I mean, he's, he scored two this season. He got three last season. He scored um, five goals in his last 12 Premier League appearances. And he's a centre-half who's been out of the team for, as, as Kieran said, nine months in terms of the league. So you can rely on these players going one way, but at the other end, that has been the strongest area of the team. It's arguably been, perhaps, in the last few weeks, the um, the best performing area of the side, just given how solid they are and how they have really turned things around since Leicester. The back three, back five, whatever you want to call it, it seems to be the way forwards now, not just because of how well they are doing the platform that it's giving the team, but because of the options they've got, that if there is an injury, a problem, a suspension, he can change it and it's not really going to affect the rest of the team in a negative way. But did Kieran Clark get the final touch on that? Of course he did. <laughs> got something on it. Very good fan. <laughs> Fernandez is calling for VAR, you know. If you're a striker, you claim that, don't you? <laughs> you I mean, the, the Bournemouth players are mourning about like the goals and... Yeah. But at the end of the day, that was a, it was a good it was a scruffy finish, there's no doubt about it. But it was a well worked move. Yeah, definitely. Um, that see what just trying to do. Totally foxed Bournemouth, and that's why they end up conceding on. You, you so, referring there to Adam Smith, who said Newcastle yeah. didn't even work for their goals. It's no good whinging now. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's the the Clark goal, by the way. The corner routine was the same three as at West Ham for the <laughs> second goal. Shelby back to Sam Maxima, back to Willems. And then that floated ball across. Now, Steve Bruce said um, at West Ham that the routine had been devised by Steve Agnew and Stephen Clements, his assistant coaches, and he gave them a lot of credit for it. He actually said after the match against Bournemouth that while it's led to two goals, it actually didn't uh, come off like they were hoping because at West Ham, when Fernandez scored, when the keeper came and was nowhere, they were trying to get Almiron in round the back. And if you watch the goal again, you've got Fernandez going up to score. You've got Almiron behind, by his right shoulder, I think waiting for the ball to come to him, thinking that the keeper won't come and, and just lose, lose flight of the ball. And then obviously against Bournemouth, it's gone in. Fernandez has flicked it down and it's caught out the defenders and Clark with that um, that deft little touch to score. But it's just interesting that it's been the same routine that has led to a goal, though not exactly as they were intending. But if it's a happy accident in the way that it's gone in, then then that's great. Well, certainly, I think that you mentioned about how there's been that turnaround since that Leicester game. And one thing I think that has improved is the set pieces because um, at the start yeah. of the season, very few of the corners were getting past the first man. And here we are, we're watching Newcastle actually now make the most of well, yeah, corners and free kicks and making most of that aerial presence that we know they've got. Yeah, I mean, uh, at one point, I think it was, I think it was, might have been even last season, um, I, when, when Newcastle were getting a corner, I was like, I don't know why we're getting excited because it's, no one's going to even connect with this. So for them to have this reputation now where the, they're getting goals from set players, uh, it just, it's something to carry forward in the next game. 
because then the opposition are kind of, you know, they're fearful, they're like having to make organisation and, you know, special arrangements to deal with corners and free kicks. And if it is causing confusion like it did on, on Saturday when Clark ends up scoring anyway with the, the, the scruffy finish, um, you know, all the better because, you know, you kind of have enough different goal scorers in the team really, can you? And, you know, the good thing is, the other good thing is, is that if all these defenders are scoring at the minute, what a great team we're going to be when all the strikers <laughs> decide to join the parties. Do you know what I mean? So hopefully uh, those, we were talking about the barren runs when we were uh, before the game. They can't go on forever and, and it genuinely can. It's, Almiron's got to score eventually. So Maximum came close and Jolinton for me will add to his one goal at, at Spurs. So um, yeah, you, you can try and be a little bit more optimistic going forward. Most certainly. I mean, mentioned there for the goal, Shelby heavily involved. And again, he, he has this, these moments in the season where you can deem them really important um, moments for his Newcastle night career because he's been given the opportunity. And he and this time he, he's taken it because he had another good performance, I thought, on, on Saturday. Yeah, you can't argue with that. I think what's been most encouraging is how he's dug in off the ball. I know he's brought in with set pieces and his passing range in mind. And there were times when he would set the the forward players free down the channels and play some great balls over the top we know he can do that but when he took on that armband when Lascelles went off I thought he he did lead by example and you can see that benefit of him shaking off that tie injury and of course maybe that wake up call of Matty Longstaff coming in just as Sean came in um, last year that that's had an effect and you could just see the he was covering the, the distance off the ball. He was getting involved, making tackles. And you need to see that from a central midfield player now, no matter what kind of style you are. So it bodes very well for the future. I think you can tell uh, he knows he's playing for a contract. I think he knows he has to do it week in, week out. It doesn't have to be an 8 out of 10. He just has to tick along. And um, yeah, it, it's it's hard to see him losing his place, maybe when, when Sean Longstaff comes back into reckoning. We hope you've enjoyed this episode so far. It's sponsored by Hodgson Motor Group, the Northeast number one family-owned Toyota, Mazda and Suzuki dealership group. Please remember to like and subscribe to the podcast through wherever you get your podcasts from. There was a bit of a debate in the press room afterwards about who was man of the match. A few of the nationals had different ideas for you guys who got it because, like we say, there was... It, it was just another game where you could have picked one of maybe eight, nine players. Yeah, I mean... Probably everyone in this room might might pick a different different player. You know, I found it a tough one to decide. And normally, it's uh, and in the past, it's been very easy to pick a man in the match because someone's really stood out. It's normally the goal, the goalkeeper. But uh, no, to be fair, it was there was probably five or six candidates you, you could have picked. Um, it's good that at the moment you're giving players eights and nines um, rather than you know fours and fives, which and even lower in some cases uh, so it's, it's good that, that they're getting these marks and you know hopefully um, they can they can continue it but as I say that that filler game you know it would be it would be all I don't want to put it down or anything but <laughs> it would be awful to think that we trips all the way down there on a Monday night and then all this good work goes to, to waste and I, I hope that they can enforce similar types of messages behind the scenes at, uh, at Benton yeah, uh, really tough to pick one. Um, like Lee said, they're 
three, four, five candidates. Films was really good. Shelby was good. I think for me, it's between the, the two lads at the back, either Fernandez or Clark. I thought Fernandez, um, again, like Clark, someone's had to really wait patiently, worked hard behind the scenes, and he's come in. And it's a timely reminder. I think this time last year, we've said before, he considered him player of the season so far, and then he's had to wait so long to get his first league start. And again, someone who, you know, you look at shares out of the team at the moment, obviously with injury. How's he going to come back in? Um, you know, and for me, I think Fernandez just edged it. Matthew, obviously you work with John Anderson, a former Newcastle uh, United centre-back. He's not one to hold back on his opinions. What's he making of, you know, the great defensive display we're seeing of late? Uh, firstly, I think we both had Fernandez as our pick on Saturday ahead of um, four or five others, as, as Lee says, that were particularly good. But everyone's performance, I think, was strong and enjoyable um, sitting next to, to Ando during the match it's really good because you know that when Newcastle are defending that he's keeping a, a particularly close eye on the way that they're set up not just the back three back five but also the forward players and how they're coming back and filling in because it is a, a team effort defensively and I know that he's been really impressed by the way Almiron has shown great desire and um, demonstrates this work ethic and there was one point when Yedlin went forwards and got knocked over and was hurt and Almiron was sprinting to get back to fill in in the right wing back position when Newcastle had a line of five as Bournemouth attacked so those are the kind of things that Ando will observe during the commentary and point out because obviously he knows what you need as a former defender from your midfielders but also um, when you have you have the three at the back um, obviously you want players who can bring the ball out and be comfortable on the ball and I think that one of the reasons Ando likes Fernandez so much is that he is not just a good defender he's smart he's clever um, as we saw on Saturday he's not afraid to, to, to get involved and mix it a little bit as well but he is good on the ball short passing he's comfortable he can bring it out so um, that's really important when you have that um, and also You've got players. You've got. They have still got the protection from Hayden in particular in front of them, and I think it all just um, amounts to a really solid back line. What you have as well, Yedlin loving to to bomb forwards and 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 charge up the pitch at a hundred miles an hour, and of course score uh, on Saturday. But on the other side, you've got Willems, who I think for maybe Rafa Benitez, first mentioned for Rafa today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Willems perhaps wouldn't have been to his liking because I think he's almost so ambitious and so forward thinking when you consider Dummett and Matt Ritchie in that position, the players that Benitez used and liked. But Willems really does give them something else and he's so good technically and good on the ball that they have the outlet down the right and the left. But I think both players should be credited as well for the, the defensive work they're doing also. Because they've got a good engine as well. It's, all, it's not just the fact that they get forward and then they need someone to fill in. You can see that they'll get forward and then they'll get back as well. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, they've got the stamina and I see the desire, which is great to see. I suppose the question to all three of you, why is it suddenly clicked? What is it? Is it because Steve Bruce has maybe had them weeks that he lost during pre-season when he wasn't your cast night manager? Is that why it's clicked? I mean, why do you think it has? That, I mean, that that is a factor. That just the whole, you know, situation where players know that you know they're coming into work and what's expected of them. All the drama of um, the former manager going. I won't mention yeah. the name <laughs> uh, to avoid putting a pound in the pot. 
Um, oh, didn't I have to do that? Yeah, Sorry. Yeah, oh, gone. <laughs> um, no, uh, but now everything's settled down and hopefully, you know, Newcastle just move forward. You know, let, let's, uh, the crowd, uh, some people are still staying away. You can understand that. But the ones who, who, who remain really got behind the team. Um, there wasn't really many unsavoury sort of chance and it's just good to see Newcastle winning again you know it makes makes our jobs so much easier the fans enjoy it more the players have got smiles on the faces they're, they're having arguments over who should be man the match you know make the most of it because my experience is mm. doesn't normally last, last too long but hey, that's me being a little bit negative but hopefully they can they can go on a, a, a long run Kieran you, you agree with that? Yeah definitely I think when you think uh, 25 days between taking over and then the first game against Arsenal that's that's really not much time particularly when you have five new arrivals in the final 16 days of the window so I think any manager would have found that a bit of a challenge to say the least not least with the backdrop um, I think there have been little things uh, Sam Maxman coming into the team as a starter after overcome those hamstring issues you can see the difference he makes in how quickly they can get forward those transitions um, and they've probably just taken a lot of confidence as well and belief from each other. They've uh, you go back to that Manchester United win. Um, since then, really, it has felt that week by week they're developing um, things they're working on in training are coming off. And I think the manner of that West Ham first half performance in particular that just seemed like a bit of a turning point. You know, to go two 0 up away from home, um, to have things that you've worked on, as I said, come off. I think you can just see it's a team playing with confidence and it's encouraging to see the crowd are responding to that, you know, that they see a team who are going up and at teams at times and they're getting and connecting with it and that's what you want to see. So, as I said, they just have to build on that now. It's 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 been a really, really good turnaround from six weeks ago. It's probably a bit of everything, isn't it? I think time is is an important factor. Uh, the changes Steve Bruce made with the system they used and the personnel that he brought in, bringing back Clark, although Dummett, I think, was particularly unlucky to be dropped. He wasn't great at Leicester, but then um, no one else was either. Um, but Matty Longstaff, I think that gave everyone a lift, players, fans and the club. So there have been a number of factors, but also Sam Maxima getting more football and um, just getting used to the Premier League. And obviously he's now clear of the hamstring issue that was bothering him a couple of months ago. And the way the front three are combining and causing problems without scoring goals, although they are having a hand in goals. First one at the weekend, Almiron, Sam Maxima and then Yedlin. And obviously the work they did at West Ham, Almiron winning free kick and corner, for instance, for the first two. So there's lots of little things in different areas of the team, but we've already mentioned him uh, in um, in our conversation so far. But I think the return of DeAndre Yedlin has been quite important as well, because if there's one position where Bruce really was chopping and changing, it was the right-hand side, right-back or right-wing-back. Um, Javier Manquillo was excellent in pre-season. I remember being up at Hibs, and if you were there, you'll probably uh, attest to this, that he was just incredible. Now, I know it was Hibs and it was a pre-season friendly, but he looked like a different player. And I thought it probably deserved his place in the team at the start of the season with Yedlin out and Kraft having come in. Um, and then Kraft started and, and he was... I thought he was fine at Spurs, but apart from that, there's obviously been... Some uh, some disappointing performances, and perhaps 
once Yedlin came back on at Leicester and then started against Manchester United, you really started to, to see a difference. And I think he has played a really important role in the last couple of weeks, not just the goal, um, but everything that he does, his speed, his willingness to get forwards, and as we've said, to get back. So individuals, collectively, the changes the manager's made, the time that they've had, but also these players have rarely in the last three or four years let the club down. They are still... Um, good lads and a good team, a good group of players who are now probably in the strongest position they've been in in terms of the league at this stage of a season since they were promoted. It was so important, wasn't it, to get the win after the West Ham performance to make sure that we didn't go into this international break, you know, just a couple of points above the relegation zone. Newcastle in a much stronger position, as as I mentioned there. And you can see Steve Bruce in his post-match press conference, you know, a marked difference to maybe a few weeks ago and it's just a better feeling around the club now and obviously that comes as Bruce has always maintained it would if the team are winning yeah I mean it's got to be the the sort the whole sort of energy around the place has to be it has to be right at Newcastle because you know in the past when when people are kicking off um, behind the scenes about different things it can it just seems to seep onto the pitch at the moment things seem to be settled behind the scenes and you know it's, it's reflected in the, in the players performances at the moment so long may it continue really and for Steve Bruce he's proven a few people wrong you know there was a lot of a lot of doubters um, when he first come in he came in I mean I was looking back on on Saturday night I was looking back at when he first got the job and looking at some of the comments uh, from people you know on, on Twitter and Stuff like that, and there was some some really you know nasty stuff on there, you know, and um, for him to you know dust himself down from all that, and you know take the dream job as he keeps calling it, um, and and try and you know make it work, it's it's a lot of uh, it's a lot a lot of you know soul searching to, for him to do that. So so good for him in a way um, that he, that he's got the team in a, in a better position, but. As I keep saying, it's only really a platform for them to build on. They've got it's no good doing this and then you know losing the next five because they'll be right back into the same old problems again. So I just hope that you know I'm already looking at the Aston Villa game and I hope that they can get something out of that match. You're worried about that, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, you mentioned just, it a few times. I'm haunted by Villa Park for yeah. being relegated there twice. So, yeah. but hopefully Steve Bruce will be fired up for it. Uh, going to his old club, he'll have a point to prove. And Kieran Clark as well returning to. I think he'll probably get a few boos, won't he? So maybe he can get his third goal of the season in front of the whole end. It is a strange rivalry. I mean, we'll talk about this closer to the game. But someone was mentioned the other day about just why is it such a rivalry, and I was just having to explain about the banner. <laughs> well, ten years. I'll be coming up ten years as well, won't it? Um, we're not. We're not. We're not. You know talk about that because it will bring the mood down slightly we'll talk about something more positive we'll talk about the points tally that Newcastle have got now Kieran yeah yeah I mean we would have taken this you would have snapped your hand off at the start of the season if you'd said it would be where Newcastle are now yeah no it's like said before you know the way they finished the season last season uh, was was remarkable and to to expect them to do that again this season I think would be asking quite a lot because it was you know crazy run at times and the way the team were set up to peak towards the end of the season under Rafa Benitez. I think it'd be a bit different this time. So I think Bruce knew coming in he needed to 
to chalk up points as, as quick as possible. Um, to have gotten 15 at this stage would have probably surprised him. I think he was initially looking at a kind of a one point per game season, um, you know, to, with that aim of getting 38 points minimum at the end of the campaign. And they're on track to be to be ahead of that. If they keep this up, I know it's a big ask, but, uh, it, you know, you only have to look at the statistics. You have to go back to the Pardieu or the last time they started this season so well. Um, and it is, as we've all said, something to build on now. Um, I think the signs are all there that it's starting to click and, you know, it's all in place really for them to push on now. And that's what they have to do. You, you know, crazy amount of games coming up, um, loads of points on offer. And I think they, the good thing is we're almost looking up rather than looking behind because there's quite a sizable gap already between uh, safety and um, getting in the relegation zone. So they're not necessarily looking down at 18th. They're thinking, right, there's only two points between this and fifth now. Um, and that it's a subtle thing, but it makes a massive difference because it's a team with confidence at the moment. Most certainly does. Just before we get on to takeover speculation, we couldn't let you come in without that wonderful subject being talked about. Just let's talk, though, firstly, <laughs> about how Almiron missed that shot anyway, when it was blocked by his own man, by St. Maximum. Not that it was a bad shot or anything, but it was ju- it's just sods law, isn't it? Like, you know, you just couldn't make it up. It's just. Yeah, it's when it's not going for you, it's just not going for you in front of the goal and that. You know, when you're hitting your own teammate, that is uh, just one of them weird things that happen. I mean, at least he saw the funny side of it. He was laugh- laughing away at it. I'm not sure, so sure it would have been so funny if uh, Newcastle had <laughs> lost the game or, you know, it had gone on to, to come for something. But I just think eventually he, he will he will score. And hopefully, um, once they get one, that this is the thing I was talking about on Saturday. Once you get one, suddenly the next one's just around the corner and you think well why, why was it so difficult you know it's it's a strange strange science goal scoring but he's so important isn't he to mm. the team you've mentioned it there the work we're getting back but I think if you look at the stats his pass accuracy was the best of anyone on the pitch um, there was a few times that you've mentioned he got back and got a, got a foot in what I did like as well um, there was that moment of passion when Joe Linton was down on the floor and Bournemouth wouldn't put <laughs> out they didn't have to mm-hmm. um, and Almiron just was not having it, was and He chased the ball down, well, rather chased the player down <laughs> and made sure that his, his uh, views on it was, were well known. I think the, the crowd loved that because, you know, he's, he's playing for the badge, he's playing for the shirt. Yeah, and Newcastle probably needed that little break in play that the, the melee, if you can call it that, provided for them at that point because they were under pressure. Um Almiron, as you say, I think, and the same applies for the other two front players, when they score, you would hope that it will lead to a run. I mean, just ask Kieran Clark because he's he's shown that two in two and you just have a bit of confidence, don't you? And you think things are going to fall your way and maybe, maybe you just don't think about it. Once you get one, it becomes automatic. Sometimes you, you might say he's trying too hard. He's having an extra touch um, like he did against Manchester United when he was in, the shot was blocked. And even West Ham away, he went on a great run right at the end, linked up with Carroll, would have made it, would it been 4-2? I think they. I think that was an injury time after West Ham had pulled one back and he had a touch and was denied. Um, the roof will come off St. James's Park when he scores, especially if that's his first goal. Um, Lee, I know you're worried about Villa Park, but wouldn't it be great if you just picked the ball up on the right cut in and just hammered it into the far top corner? And, and you, you can see 
almost him scoring a, a superb goal or a, or a terrible scruffy goal. It's a shot that hits his shin and sends the keeper the wrong way and Bruce goes in. Mentioned it's yeah. going to come off his backside. I, yeah. I think I was in the press conference after the Arsenal game, I think, and he said it's, it's going to come off his backside, isn't it? Yeah. I'm sure he'll take it either as way. long as it's not ruled out by VAR <laughs> yeah, when he yeah. does finally <laughs> score but he is he is a really important player he gets you up the pitch and he does so many good things um, and people will look at the stats and use that against him but I think you have to if you look beyond that you see what he brings to Newcastle United and he's very very important he is indeed and that'll be the final thing we'll talk about um, about Saturday's game is VAR um, it, it did occur um, for, for obviously Yedlin's goal but there was a moment when I don't know about you guys but I thought the referee had given a penalty against Fernandez, and no one seemed to know quite what was going on there and it's I mean it's meant to be helping the game but it's just causing all the confusion I think the problem for me is, is that the referee the referee is using VAR to referee the game rather than just consulting it as and when he needs to it's, it just seems to be every decision is is getting scrutinised and everyone's scared to make a mistake and, and get it wrong. And the other thing that is terrible for the for the fans is that the ones who can't see the the video screen on the leader's end. So you've paid whatever it is to get in, I think thirty six quid's the cheapest ticket. And you might not even be able to, you don't even know what's going on. You're relying on what's what other people are saying around in other parts of the ground and it's just confusion really. So I think there's a a lot of room for improvement with VR. Would you guys like to see a challenge system like they have in tennis, or would you like the referees mic'd up like they are in rugby? I mean, what would you? Or just get rid of it? Um, <laughs> yeah, the thing is now it's beyond teeth and problems, isn't it? it? You can see why this is going to be one of the subjects at the the Premier League shareholders meetings again. Um, I think they're meeting on the fourteenth, which is this week, and uh, you, you just I know talking about referees post-match has been a thing for years but it's just adding another element and layer to it and I don't know what the solution is I mean you look at how games are refereed in the Champions League things seem to be a lot more smoother and every week now there seems to be an incident and it's almost causing more problems than solving problems and when it gets to that stage it seriously has to be looked at again but I think there is a place for technology in football but you know for someone like Yedlin to not be able to celebrate a goal, it, it just seems to be taking that human, enjoyable element out of the game and we really don't want that. I just think because there's always a fear that a bad decision, an incorrect decision is going to cost you and every club has been in that position. But if you think about Newcastle in the last few years, there have been quite a few um, significant decisions that haven't gone their way that should have. I, I support it because it, it should in theory, clear up those issues and put them right when they're wrong. Um, but Kieran, I think you're right. Um, DeAndre Edlin spoke after the game about not wanting to look stupid <laughs> by celebrating, celebrating his first goal at St. James's Park after, what, three years as a Newcastle player. And and that's not good. It, it dilutes the moment, definitely. But the biggest issue that I have with, with VAR quickly is the offsides and... Sheffield United at the weekend at Spurs. Now, the first goal that they scored was ruled out and it was a toe that, that was ahead of the line that they drew on the VAR um, graphics machine. And it wasn't even the ball that led to the goal. It wasn't. It was the first phase of the move. 
I don't know whether it was officially a rule or when it was, but we used to talk about needing daylight between a defender and an attacker. And I don't know whether you go back to that or maybe, um, you know, you need just the full body, a silhouette ahead of the defender or something rather than just millimetres difference between the defensive line and where the most um, forward part of the attacking player's body is. And also you've had goals ruled out, haven't you? I think Man City on the opening day at West Ham because uh, an arm or a hand was offside. Well, you can't score uh, legally with that part of your body. So why does that matter? I think maybe that needs clearing up a little bit, but I do support it. And Newcastle haven't had anything overturned yet by VAR this season, have they? A couple of weeks ago, it was only them and Watford, I think. Um, So that's good. And um, if it means that Gold stand, long may it continue. I think Chris Sutton made the point last night, for once he wasn't actually being all that controversial, he said that uh, when people are, when it's going in their favour, they won't complain, and when it's not, look on complain. That's football, but I, I do just think it's, there I say, it needs a few things ironing out. Just before we get on to the takeover speculation, just a word that our live event is selling very well. It must be because Lee and Kieran are appearing. Ooh. Sorry, Matthew, you are not this time, even though they did a wonderful job the last time. We replaced Matthew with Simon Bird this time around, but over half the tickets have gone. It's on the 11th of December, near of the food bank. So uh, be quick. Head over to our website to get all the details there. Um, Lee, we'll start with you then. The Oligi uh, Sports Group back in the headlines via The Athletic claims that um, sources have suggested that uh, there's the confidence that they can get a deal done. It was only last month that they said they pulled out because they didn't have the money. Yeah, I mean, the fact we're not sitting in Chiquitos doing this podcast probably says that, you know, it's not happening. But look, at the end of the day, it's the same for any takeover group that the price is about £350 million. If you've got it and you can prove it and you can prove that eventually you can take the club forward, I think he'll sell. I genuinely think he'll sell. At the moment, no one's been able to come up with that money. So we're in this situation with with an owner that isn't popular, but a team that are doing all right and Premier League football being delivered. So hopefully... You know, one day, one day we'll be sitting here talking, and it'll be gone, and there'll be a new owner. Whether it's for better or worse, we, we don't know because we, we haven't got a crystal ball. But at the end of the day, um, it, what the last thing Newcastle want is someone coming in who hasn't quite got the money, and then all of a sudden, it's a worse situation there than than we're in now, and the team end up, you know, following the route of. I don't know say Leeds United say Nottingham Forest you know all these teams that have slipped out of the Premier League and you know not been back you know it's one of them well forgive me because I can't remember we spoke about this on the podcast but I'm always fascinated by the story you tell when Mike Ashley bought the club and it was literally a, what a space of 10 minutes 15 minutes and that yeah it happened basically Mike we got contacted by um, I think it was someone down in the, in the, in the city and they said that you know there is a new investor is coming on board, and then it then it obviously got announced. But you know before that we'd rang St James's Park, and I think the secretary at the time said, "There's no story here today, son." And you know put the phone down, and then ten minutes later, it's you know it wasn't completely sold because Freddie Shepherd still had a big stake in the club, um, but the new investor had appeared in that. That's pretty much you know how how it would happen again. Uh, Fair play if anyone did get the 
the big scoop, but it doesn't it doesn't usually happen like that. Because I mean, the group have been interested in the club, and I think the understanding is that they, they they have gotten further than most. But to to go from last month when uh, the president did say we backed out because we we didn't really have enough funds to take it forward, mm. to then come four weeks later and the sources suggesting that maybe it is on it. I mean, it's 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 a big call. Yeah, I think it's it's been good in a way how uh, far we as journalists and fans in general have come when it comes to takeover speculation. Maybe a year ago this would have been a much bigger story, but I think now people are fed up. And to be honest, Mike Ashley said a lot of interesting words over the years, but uh, the interview he did in the summer, he said, you know, um, it'll be done by the time the media find out. Uh, I, I think that is one thing you can take as gospel with this um i think there are parties who are who are interested who are who will be looking at the club or lead you one of them we know kenyan's group have been uh, sniffing around for more than a year now but it is just going to happen without anyone realizing i still believe that yeah, you could put everyone together and you'd have <laughs> you'd have the money wouldn't you kenyan or lead you stay we've been around the world haven't we <laughs> it's like africa next like michael <laughs> Palin, isn't it? You know vince I mean? mcmahon coming in and all that but Matthew, I guess with Newcastle being in a much healthier position than they have been in previous years, you would expect the takeover speculation, the interest to maybe ramp up if come Christmas we're not looking at Newcastle in the relegation zone, we're not looking at Newcastle two, three points above it, we're looking at Newcastle maybe two points or three points within the top ten. For a potential new owner or owners or investors, it might be a more attractive proposition the higher they are in the Premier League, but then it could be a more expensive one as well because if they are fighting a relegation battle for most or all of the season, um, this is something that came up particularly with Amanda Staveley uh, two years ago now, um, the idea that Newcastle would be worth less, understandably, if they were in the Championship, but then would Mike Ashley want to sell if they were in the Championship because twice they've gone down and come straight back up and then he could sell for more if they got back into the Premier League. So I think whatever you say, there's a counter-argument that, um, you know, really puts the brakes on the on the initial positive thought that you have. But whether it is Kenyon or the Olegi group or, or whoever, um, there will always be names out there. And I think you're, you're right, Kieran. Now we look at these things... Um, and think, right, another one, here we go. And that's always been the feeling, that's always been the message, hasn't it? You know, officially and unofficially, when it's done, it'll be done like that, and then we will find out. And obviously one day something will change, it's just a case of when that will be, but whoever it's going to be, I think we all know that the appetite for change now is is huge, is great, no matter how the team's doing on the pitch. Um, it's just there's always this sideshow isn't there about takeover potentially and ownership um, it would be nice one day wouldn't it to not have to worry about that um, but goodness knows when that'll be yes well fingers crossed it happens sooner rather than later I think most Newcastle United fans if not all would would love that to happen well this has been everything is black and white podcast we thank Matthew for popping in I'm going to pay my fine now for mentioning um, the former manager whose name I won't say again don't worry it will go to the food banks all in a good cause Uh, guys thank you very much for joining us we'll have a few specials over the next few weeks as we make our way through the international break in the meantime head over to our website where we will keep you up to date with all the latest Newcastle United news